This episode of the Tefo Mahapi show is brought to you by Truehost.Africa. Truehost.Africa is one of the most reliable cloud companies around. They offer domain names, web hosting, free website builders, and email solutions. Truehost.Africa supports thousands of businesses and professionals around the world. As a listener of the Tefo Mahapi show, you get a discount if you buy a .Africa domain name at Truehost.Africa. To claim your discount, just go to truehost.africa forward slash iAfrican. That is truehost.africa forward slash I-A-F-R-I-K-A-N and place your order for a .africa domain name and any other service. Once you're ready to check out, you can then use the coupon iAfrican. Again, that's I-A-F-R-I-K-A-N to get the discount before paying for your order. Welcome to an episode of the Tiffo Mahapi Show hosted by myself. The show explores the impact, whether famously or infamously, some of my guests have had on the world. I believe that opening businesses and, and the healthy capitalism without the corporations which destroy the environment, etc. I think be naive to say that we've completely overcome any polarizing or divisive issues on the racial front. We thank you for taking some time out to listen to the podcast. Have you ever wondered what living in space is like? I sometimes daydream and wonder about that. Given that there's no gravity, how does one move around and do simple tasks like eating that we don't even think twice about while on Earth? Also, what do you see once you leave the Earth's atmosphere? To understand all this and more, I had a chat with Terry Vitz, a retired NASA astronaut and former commander of the International Space Station. Terry not only spent hundreds of days in space aboard the International Space Station and did fun things like spacewalks among many other activities, he's also arguably one of the most prolific photographers of space, so much so that he has an amazing IMAX documentary. Terry is American by birth and is also a pilot with the United States Air Force. Although retired from NASA and the Air Force, Terry continues to do some amazing work that is important for the human species. One such piece of work is a project he is involved in across Africa. He shares more about that in this episode of the Defum Happy Show as well. I trust you'll enjoy this conversation I had with Terry as he takes us on a short trip into space. Great, Terry. Uh, I was having lunch earlier uh, before preparing for this. Uh, it's like in the evening now, around uh, 5.40 p.m. Right. So as I was having lunch around midday, and I thought because I was going to talk to you, something occurred in my mind that to eat somehow in my layman's understanding of biology and earth and everything. Gravity is needed somehow to let your food go in your mouth and go down into your stomach, etc. So the question I had was, how do you guys do it in space? Do you eat normal food for starters? And how do you keep the food down? How do you swallow it? And obviously the follow-up question to that is, how do you dispose of it? <laughs> so that's a great question. I had the same question. In fact, the scientists back in the 50s and 60s, they a lot of them thought that people would just die in space because they couldn't eat. But actually, it's not gravity that brings the food down. There's little muscles in your neck and your stomach that, that push the food down. So your esophagus. Exactly, in your esophagus, it pushes it down. I don't, I'm just a fighter pilot. I'm not a doctor, but, <laughs> but I do know that it works just fine. I never had any trouble eating in space because that was actually a, qu- a question I had too before I went. Ah, so, and it stays down, obviously, because there's no gravity. It does stay down. Some people feel sick the first couple days in space and they throw up, but it's like being on a boat. It's motion sickness. So it's not from 
the food doesn't just float up necessarily. It's just your body is getting motion sick. So that's the... Which brings me to an understanding. That means that in terms of our bodies, as much as you're not a biologist, it sounds like then we somewhat, to a certain extent, designed to live in space. Not well designed because we can't breathe oxygen, but we have some capabilities. Absolutely. That was fascinating for me because we're designed to live on Earth. And, and, and space is very different because it's weightless. And so there's a learning curve. It, you know, it's pretty steep and it takes a few weeks before you get really good at it. But the ability to move around in weightlessness comes pretty quickly. I was amazed at how fast, because like I said, our whole bodies are made for Earth. But it was, so it was really cool to see how quickly we could adapt. Of course, that doesn't work outside because you need oxygen and you need pressure on your body. But to be inside of a spaceship was pretty good. Okay, outside, obviously, that's where you need your spacesuit, and that's to assist you to keep your body normal. Or what other functions does it perform? The spacesuit, so when the, there's a couple different kinds. There's one for launching and landing, and then there's the one where you go outside in space, and that keeps pressure really thick. There's 11 layers, and that's full of air. Not air, it's full of oxygen. There's no nitrogen, just oxygen. It keeps your body from just puffing up and exploding, <laughs> which is good. And it also gives you oxygen to breathe, it also has a special carbon dioxide scrubber that takes the CO2 that we breathe out and puts it in these cans of lithium hydroxide. Or there's a new kind, anyway, it, it puts uh, the carbon dioxide in cans. On Earth, we have trees. The trees breathe in our carbon dioxide yes, and they right. breathe out oxygen and we breathe in the oxygen and breathe out. So it's a really, it's a perfect system. In space, you have to do that manually. And it also cools you down because you get really overheated in this big bulky suit. Imagine in South Africa in the winter or summer wearing a big snowsuit, you would just start sweating immediately. So Great. in space, we have these special long underwears that have these tubes of water and the water is cooled by something called sublimation. So the backpack, you always see a big backpack behind the astronauts. And that thing has basically a block of ice. And the ice just evaporates, goes from solid to gas. Like normally ice goes from, if you're boiling ice cubes, it goes from ice cube to water to gas. But in yeah. space, it, it skips water altogether and it goes straight to gas, goes out in space. And that takes heat away. That heat transfer is what cools the water. So we have a water loop that goes over our bodies that keeps us cool. So the space, and it has radio, and it has little rockets, little jetpack, that if you come off the space station, you can fly back. So the space suit actually does a lot of things. Now that you mention all these things, it sounds like you need to be, to a certain extent, multi-skilled in order to be an yeah. astronaut, because you need to understand and operate these things. And if I understand correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you also need to perform certain maintenance tasks on the space itself or you whatever you're living in. everything, yeah. And to, it's not like in Star Trek, there's the starship with hundreds of people. So everybody has different, the yellow and the red and the blue yes. shirts, everybody has a different job. We don't have that. We have the rainbow shirt, because everybody does everything. My job before NASA was fighter pilot, but on my space, missions. I was the doctor. I was the crew medical officer. I did lots of maintenance. I was the shuttle pilot. I had to do spacewalks. I had to do interviews like we're doing right now. Lots and lots of medical experiments and other and material science and combustion and physics and lots of experiments. So you have to be a scientist. So you're not like a PhD in everything. You just have to be, you're more like a technician in everything, right? Yeah, the yeah, PhD yeah. experts are down on ground and they can talk you through things. So you just have to be good enough to do basic stuff and listen well to what they're telling you. But you have to be able to do that in everything. 
I made an IMAX movie when I was in school. Yes, I saw that. We'll chat about that later. I guess almost every young person, when they're young, they look at the moon and they wonder what's out there and they start wondering, how do they become an astronaut? But how did you get to become an astronaut? How, what, do you have to study anything specific? Do you have to have a certain level of experience? You mentioned being a fighter pilot. So how did Terry Vince yeah. becoming an astronaut? Yeah, that's exactly when it started for me. I read a book when I was in kindergarten and I was hooked. So for me, I took the pilot route. For NASA, the, the one basic requirement for everybody is that you have a technical undergraduate degree. So you have to go to college in math or science or engineering or medicine. So it has to be technical. And then beyond that, there's the pilot route, which I think is the most important. <laughs> I'm a little biased. There's, uh, there's medical doctors, there's engineers, there's scientists. So there's several different ways to get to be an astronaut at NASA. But there's also, there's a few different national space agencies. There's also space tourists. Of course, there was a famous yeah, South African. That's coming up, yeah. yeah. Mark Shuttleworth flew in 2002. He was from South Africa. Yeah, so, yeah. but it's about, but that's a very rare, that's a very expensive to go into orbit, to fly on a suborbital flight. So Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic are two space tourist companies where it's a couple hundred thousand dollars, so it's expensive, but it's not $20 million. And you go up about five minutes in space and you come straight back down. But you see the earth, you see the blackness of space, and then you see the curvature of the earth, you're, and you float for roughly five minutes. Uh, and then it's right back down to earth. So that's something that I think a lot of people are going to start. Hopefully this year they'll do their first passengers, if not this year, the next year. But I think in the near term, that's going to happen. And when you say near term, are you talking about a year, two years, a decade? So that's a great question. These guys don't talk a lot. They did their first test flight. Virgin Galactic did their first test flight in 2004. Okay. So it's been a long time coming. And they did their most recent test flight, I think, was last year. So I think it's going to be this year, but we'll see. And Blue Origin's very quiet. They don't talk a lot. They just yeah. do quietly. Jeff Bezos' company. And so they're, I think they're getting very close. One of my crewmates from my first shuttle flight, a guy named Nick Patrick, is going to fly. Or he's basically their flight director. For Blue Origin. Yeah, for Blue Origin. Mm -hmm. And SpaceX, there's also been talk of SpaceX doing some tourism stuff and some building some, I saw some fancy vid demo videos of what they're trying to do with tourism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the SpaceX space tourism, if that happens in the near future, is going to be the space station. So that'll be a lot more expensive. That'll be maybe 50 million or more for someone to go to the space station for a couple of weeks. And that, that's a much bigger uh, project. Obviously, these people would need training. You go under a lot of training just to become an astronaut. Yeah. And to adjust, as you said, there's an issue of seasickness or something similar to seasickness of once you leave right. the gravity of Earth. Would that be part of this? Absolutely, yeah. So if you're going to go fly with, to the International Space Station, you're going to need weeks for sure, probably months of training, just to understand the capsule itself, to understand the space station to understand how to handle emergencies on the space station. That's a much more in-depth thing, for sure. <laughs> Going back to what yeah. we were chatting about when I said you need to be, a, it sounds like you need to be multifaceted, multi-skilled. Obviously, you guys are not like the tourists we just talked about. There's things you do when you're there, apart from maintaining the ISS itself. I believe you run experiments or scientific experiments, etc. What is that all about? And can you give us some examples of those? So when I was on the space station for my 200-day flight, we had 250 different experiments. We had a lot of medical experiments on my own body. There's a really cool one outside called AMS. It's looking for dark matter and dark energy in the universe. So we're trying to figure out what the universe is made of. We did materials science, some combustion science. 
physicists trying to understand the, the actual mechanics of how combustion happens. Anything you can study at university there in Johannesburg, you can do an experiment in space. There's just a lot of them are just boxes that we, you turn it on and we never touch or anything. And some of them are very involved. There's a rodent research program. A lot of big pharmacy companies use rodents to investigate drugs. So I did a project for salmonella and E. coli vaccines we were working on. So I spent weeks of my life working on these mice. So that the mice was for bone and muscle drugs, and the salmonella and E. coli were actually on little worms that we infected. But I spent a lot of time in this big glove box you put your hands in and you do science on stuff, just like at a biology lab here on Earth. That was a lot of fun. And is there any benefit of doing these experiments in space or any difference of doing them in space and doing them on Earth? Because I'm sure you can do them on Earth. You can, of course. And the big difference is you're weightless, right? So it, when you're doing materials or fluids experiments on Earth, everything falls down. But in space, they float. So you can grow things a lot bigger. You can grow crystals a lot bigger. You can grow tissues. They've done some cancer research on tissues that grow in blobs. On Earth, they grow flat, but you can get much bigger and higher quality tissues that they're easier to study. Basically, viruses and pathogens become more powerful and immune systems become weaker. So you can study disease interaction that's more intense in space than it is on Earth. You can also see what happens to bodies when they waste away. So there are flames in space burn in circles. On Earth, flames go up. Up, yeah. Convection. In space, it's a circle. What? And actually, because there's no convection. So on Earth, something that's hotter, heat rises. And that's why basements are cooler in the summertime, and the top floor is always really hot, right? Hot air rises. That's, what that's why hot air, balloons. Yeah. Hot, air, hot air balloons go up, right? In space, they don't. It just burns in a circle. So it's really cool to see a flame. But in the movies, there's always fires and it burns everything. Well, in the movie, The Martian, Matt Damon made a joke about it because he was like, I can't get anything to burn because everything that NASA sends is flame is not flammable. They only send non-flammable things to space. And that he was on Mars, so he had gravity. But on the space station, if something burns, it burns all the oxygen around it. And, that's and then it. there's no convection to feed it oxygen. And so it bur flames burn themselves out very quickly. You have to constantly pump oxygen into something. Otherwise, it just burns itself out. So that's interesting. That's very interesting. And yeah. you talk about Mars and science fiction and movies, and we'll probably talk about the movie you made with IMAX. One of the movies I watched, I watch a bit of sci-fi, is Interception. And they have this concept of time, and I tried to wrap my head around it. And I know, know a lot of people try to wrap their head around it. We, I think they yeah. get on this new planet, and there's huge waves. And they talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. something like seven hours on Earth is two minutes on this planet. Yeah. I do understand the concept of that Earth and other planets rotate around the sun at different, they take different times around the sun, correct? Right, different speeds, yeah. But is it possible that a planet could be like on Earth, the time could be seven hours and on another planet could be a minute? And how does that concept work? Or is it just science fiction? So I wrote a chapter. I have a new book coming out in September called How to Astronaut. I'm super excited about it. It's 51 short chapters. They're just a three or four or five pages each of different subjects about space, like how to fly jets, how to learn how to be a doctor, doing survival training, how to rendezvous on the space station. And then some of them are crazy. What do you do with a dead body if your crewmate dies? And I wrote a chapter about relativity and time travel. So the basics of relativity are that, and Einstein figured this out about a century ago, 
time is relative based on your velocity and also your acceleration. And there's, so there's special relativity and general relativity. There's two different theories of relativity. And one is based on time, on velocity and the other is acceleration. Because I was going so fast around the earth and you guys were just sitting still. Yeah. And I was going 25,000 kilometers an hour. While I was in space, I actually aged seven milliseconds less than you did. So every year, or every minute, or how, for, how does it? No, for those 200 days, for the total 200 days. So if, wow. if you and I got our watches and we set, we went ready hack. Yes. And then I went into space and I came back 200 days later. My watch was seven milliseconds slower than yours, and my body and everything about me, I spent seven milliseconds less time than you did on Earth. And this is real and so time. It, this is not. It's real. This is it's real, real time. And I was telling a Hollywood actress that she got so excited. She's like, oh, my God, I need to go into space so I can age less. For them, <laughs> age is everything. She just wanted to age less. The other part of that is acceleration. So if you're getting pushed really hard and accelerating, and acceleration is the same thing as gravity is just accelerate. Like we're, you and I right now are getting accelerated towards the center of the earth at 1G. 9.8 meters per second is how much acceleration you and I feel. So in gravity, they went down to a planet that was next to a black hole, and the black hole, not gravity, I'm sorry, interstellar was the movie. Their black interstellar, hole has interstellar, yes. interstellar, yeah, massive acceleration. So while they were next to the black hole, they, when they looked at their watch, it was moving normally. But compared relative to, to their friend in orbit, their watch had stopped, based, almost stopped, and his watch was going fast. So that guy spent 30 years waiting for them they only spent a few hours down on the planet and that it's a real thing that's and the way it's, it's not theoretical time that's the thing i think that warps my mind is like this is not theoretical time this is real time and you can actually my feel body it. i you can feel it in your body you're looking at, yes you're looking at somebody who's seven milliseconds younger than he would have been had i stayed on earth Okay, I think that explains it much better. Now, uh, one of the questions before I came, I was so excited when the interview was arranged. So my dad is about 70 soon. And since he retired about five years, 10 years ago, he took up looking into space, following what's happening in space, etc. And he's going to speak to Terry Vitz. I know he was on the ISS asking <laughs> a few questions. So I have a few questions he asked me. He says the first question, and I would never have asked these questions. What keeps the ISS rotating around the Earth and not moving away? from the rotation because mm -hmm. ISS is not on Earth gravity. So I write about this, a chapter about this in my book. It's yeah. basically Isaac Newton. So if you go faster and faster, your orbit grows. You'll, if you slow down, your orbit shrinks. So okay. when you come back to Earth, you're in an orbit. When you come back to Earth, we turn the rocket around, we slow down a couple hundred kilometers an hour, and then that shrinks your orbit just enough so that it hits the atmosphere at the right place. On my Soyuz, it was over Africa. I remember looking out, I could see East, I could see Ethiopia and Sudan, East Africa flying by underneath our capsule as we were going yeah. to Kazakhstan. So if you speed up, your orbit grows bigger and bigger. And if you go about 35,000 kilometers an hour, you get to escape velocity and then you leave Earth and you can go to the moon. So if you wanna to go to the moon, you need to get to this escape velocity. So the, the, what keeps you in a circle is going the exact right speed. Because if you go faster, your orbit gets bigger. And if you go slower, your orbit shrinks. So if you, what sports do you play in South Africa? Football. Soccer. So when you kick a soccer ball, it's in orbit around the earth, only it's a really small orbit. It goes up and it immediately comes down 
that's a really small orbit. If you could kick that soccer ball 5,000 kilometers an hour, it would go up, it would still come down. But if you could kick it 25,000 kilometers an hour, it would go out and, and it would actually be in orbit around the Earth. So uh -huh. it's just a question. Of, it's a how question fast that you is, go? How is your fast orbit, you go? orbit bigger than the planet? If your orbit's smaller than the planet, it's going to come down and hit the planet somewhere. Uh -huh. So it's how fast you go outside the orbit and then keeps it. It's like artillery or nuclear missiles. They're in a they're in a smaller orbit that doesn't quite all the way get into orbit. It comes back and hits the planet. <laughs> now, the follow-up question to that is, does the ISS speed affect the perception of time? So it doesn't, no. You always feel like time is normal. And in fact, the time that we have is GMT. We just set our clocks to GMT. It feels normal to you and you are on GMT. So basically, London time is the time that we use, which is... What is that, one hour behind South Africa, something like yes, that? Yes, that's GMT plus one. Right. So GMT plus two, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. You were talking about medical experiments, and uh, I think you do some medical experiments yourself or research currently. Can you walk us through that, and what specifically are you working on in the continent, in Africa specifically? Yeah, so one of the really amazing, probably most important projects I'm, I'll ever do in my life, if we can get it to work, is trying to get a malaria vaccine into Africa. So a friend of mine has a pharmaceutical company, it's called Ocean Pharmaceutical. They've partnered with a few universities in, in America, specifically Brown. So this one particular researcher at Brown University has malaria vaccine that he, he's highly confident that it's almost 100%, so a very effective vaccine, which is it may be the, that may be Africa's biggest problem, especially in the jungle regions, because that's where mosquitoes are. Yeah. I don't know how bad malaria is in South Africa. Not all of South Africa. So in the more humid, I know in the Mpumalanga region, which is a little bit further up and towards the east, which is close to Mozambique, there's right. a bit of malaria in that area. Right. But most of South Africa is relatively malaria-free. So that's, your, that's good. It unfortunately kills roughly half a million kids every year and hundreds of millions of people get it. The economic, it just devastates the continent economically. So if this can work, knock on wood, we have to go through trials, but so far it's been very promising. So we're hoping to get phase one clinical trials soon. And I think it's gonna start in Nigeria with the authorities there or is it going to be through the ocean pharmaceuticals as you mentioned no it's going to go through the government it's going to be all the african i, I don't know exactly the agency i assume it'll be the nigerian medical authorities health, are going to have health department yeah. Do it, yeah so it'll be in partnership but it's something that needs to be done sooner rather than later i think yeah which goes back to what i was saying earlier it sounds like as an astronaut you need to be multi-skilled and you've taken up medicine <laughs> post being an astronaut and you're involved in medical well, research now Yes, I definitely not. I'm not the researcher, but I'm helping make the connections and I'm going to take it, help with the publicity on it. I'm a helper. I'm not the main person in this no, case. What I really want to do is make a film about it. I want to make a documentary about this because it could be one of the best stories of the century. This could be a great story. No, especially if you say it's 100% of like malaria vaccine, it could be a great yeah. story. It would be amazing. It's not, nothing's a hundred in biology. Unfortunately, there was just a billion dollars spent on a vaccine and it only had a 17% efficacy. So it didn't work. So this has been a hard problem for centuries. If we can get this done, that'll be really good. Yeah. Which brings me to a, a more philosophical question. You've been to space, ISS, and you obviously look down on earth and you can definitely confirm that it's round, not flat. <laughs> so you've seen that, but you've also seen like this from a perspective point of view, seen the sort of 
not the whole earth i don't know how far the space station but you've seen the earth don't you sometimes or didn't you sometimes looking down at earth think sometimes we're too busy with uh, frivolous things and not seeing the bigger picture that is or am i being too biggest. serious no that's the that's one of my messages the story my first mission i get back two weeks in space on the space shuttle i land we i have to shut the shuttle down that takes an hour we do a walk around i do a lot of medical experiments on my body meet my family i'm finally alone in my room they have an astronaut pre-porter so i sit down and i turned on cnn and this is 2010 my first flight and the lady was talking about blah 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 it was just meaningless stuff so I literally had to turn the TV off in about 30 seconds because I was just seeing the planet and seeing the universe and seeing yeah. these big things. And here we were talking about meaningless stuff. So yes, some things are important. Malaria in Africa is important. Yeah. We need to solve that. But this political bickering, most governments and politicians are just there to serve themselves. They're not there to serve people. And you can see that from space, actually. You can see people wow. say you oh. can't see borders. People say you can't see borders in space, but at nighttime, you can see cities. So you can see, you can see North Korea and South Korea is Different. thriving, vibrant South Korea. And North Korea is a black hole with a little white dot where Pyongyang is. In Africa, Johannesburg is this big, beautiful, it looks like a European city. It's big, a lot of yellow and orange lights. You can see Nigeria. Nigeria has a lot of dots because it's an oil-rich country. And then you can see the Nile River has a lot of lights around it. And in the entire continent of Africa, other than those three places, there's a few dots here and there and that's it. So you can really see that there's a billion people living in poverty. It's very obvious. And even right across the red, even Saudi Arabia has lights and lights and lights and lights. There's only 25 million people there. So there's lots of wealth there. And you can see that from space. You can see wealth from space. It's actually quite interesting that you say you can see lots of lights in Johannesburg in Colloquially, locally, what we call Johannesburg is Gauteng Maboneng. Maboneng means city of lights. So when you say you you can see it from space, that's quite good. That's quite good. It's by far the brightest. It's the brightest city in Africa. It's like the star of Africa, for for sure, from my perspective. The Nile is cool because it's a river and you can see the curves. but But Johannesburg is a city and you can definitely see it. And you can see Cape Town and Durban, but they're a lot smaller than Joburg. And how do you debrief yourself from this philosophical type of mentality to say you've been in space? The bigger picture is Earth and developing Earth and developing people on Earth and now having to deal with right. daily bickering, <laughs> daily frivolous things. So I was worried about that. I was worried that I would you know, be depressed and miss space. And I don't. Like, I like Earth. It's cool. There's things here on Earth that you don't get in space. I, I guess... I didn't really debrief it. It was just my personality. Like some guys get back and they just can't wait to get back to space. And they, it's hard for them to be happy, to be honest. And uh, I wouldn't like that at all. I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Now tell us about your movie. Firstly, when's your book coming out? You said How to Astronaut. Is it out already? How to Astronaut, uh, September 15th. And it's just about basic questions about space and how to do certain things in space, if you wanted to. Yeah, it's, it's, 51 essays about stuff you would expect and maybe some stuff that you wouldn't expect. Some of the different training that we went through, how to build a spaceship, how are we going to get to Mars, a lot of kind of normal space stuff. And then some crazy stuff too, like I said, about relativity, or there's a couple things in there about how to deal with bad bosses. (laughs) Let me talk about some of my experiences. (laughs) Uh, Spacewalking, 
there's a chapter in there about sex in space, that people had sex in space. My goal was to say, for you to say wow and laugh. Those are like the two things. It's not technical at all. In yeah. terms of your movie, I haven't watched the movie. I just read about it. Can you just give us a brief idea what it is? I know it's at IMAX, which means it's quite a good visual experience. Oh, yeah. So the first film, I, I made another movie last year, but the first one, I did everything. It was directed by Tony Myers, who's made all the space IMAX movies since the 80s. Yeah. Unfortunately, she passed away last year, but she was amazing. So she was my mentor. So when I was in space, I was filming our crew floating around and I filmed a lot of the planet. A couple other astronauts did some of the filming of the planet too. So I basically helped do everything. I had to be the cinematographer and the director and the actor and the gaffer and the best boy. I had to do everything because there's no one else to do that stuff. So I really learned a lot about all of those aspects of filmmaking, just doing them myself, which was cool. And I love the movie. Oh, it's out. I don't think you have Hulu in South Africa. So Disney just did a deal with Hulu. They they own IMAX. They own everything. Disney probably owns your podcast. I don't know. Not yet. We'd love them to. Not yet. They own, so I, my first book that I wrote was with National Geographic, and I, yeah. I speak for National Geographic, and Disney owns them. After I hang up with you, I've got to go do my Disney paperwork to get like my bank information set up so that yeah, they yeah. can pay me. Astronauts still do mundane stuff like admin and banking details and all that. I, absolutely. i got to set up all that stuff, and I've got my insurance paperwork is right here. Yes, so back to Earth, all yeah. the daily stuff. So you can watch the IMAX films now. They did a deal with Hulu, which is really cool. So I was watching a few of the old, I have the DVDs, but it was fun to just watch it on streaming. On a bigger screen. Not the same as going into the big screen, but at least you can watch it. Okay. Well, we'll definitely look out for them and tell people about them. Thank you very much for your time. Remember to tell your friends, family, and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafrikan.com forward slash radio. And subscribe to get notified on new episodes and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.